Welcome, this is your host, Lisa Tomey. Now tonight we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're actually going to talk to two writers, not poets, who will be talking about their book, We the House, and our guests today will be Warren Ashworth and Susan Kander. We also have a special guest, so just wait and see who it is. Don't go away, we'll be right back. Welcome to the Prolific Pulse Poetry Podcast. However, guess what? We're not going to talk that much about poetry today. We have two wonderful authors here, Warren Ashworth and Susan Kander, and this is their book. It's called We the House, a Novel, and it's pretty darn fascinating. Um, Honestly, I'm not finished with it yet. It's one of these kinds of books that you savor a little bit at a time. And you really process what you're reading before you move forward. So I find that to be valuable because it's got so much history. Now, Warren is actually an architect and a professor of architecture, right? That's correct. Yeah. And Susan, you're a, an accomplished musician, a screenwriter, screenplay writer, is that right? Yeah. Composer, yeah, and it sounds fascinating. I was reading your biography, and it's like y'all have been really profound in your professions. And so then I'm looking at this book, going, "How did you become writers of this book?" So can you give us a little bit of background? Sure, happy to. Um... First of all, thank you so much for having us. We are delighted to join you on this uh, Prolific Pulse podcast. Um, The book started, neither one of us are novelists. Uh, This is our first book uh, together. It's our first novel, even not together. So it came as something of a gift, I would say. Um, One night, uh December 31st in 2019, we were gathered with close friends um, around uh, their dining room table. Fireplace was going. It was New Year's Eve. There were there was a beautiful old farmhouse, an 18th century farmhouse in upstate New York. And the in the, the clients were the, the I'm sorry, the, the hosts were old clients of mine. And She was talking about, to the whole crowd at the table, which was about 10 people, she was talking about the process of redoing part of the house and some of the the challenges they'd had. And at one point, she turns to the sideboard behind her, above which there's a portrait hanging, and of an early early American uh, portrait of a woman and she just says directly to the portrait she said well but you know all this don't you and uh that five days later uh i started the book and and i knew that i wanted to i just loved that moment i loved the idea that this portrait was sentient and that there were things that the portrait had heard that 
it retained. So we, I started the book. And then um, uh, after about two months, I worked with a book group, uh, with a writer's group. And I read a couple of chapters to the writer's group. And they were very gracious. And, but, and one of them said, you know, there are two voices here because there's the voice of the portrait and there's the voice of the house in this book. The house and the portrait are the protagonists. They're the ones who speak. And we said, uh, they said, there's Michael. And they said, you know, the two voices uh, are seem rather similar. So I said to myself, well, I live with a person who is brilliant at dialogue, who's written plays, who's written librettos, and I asked Susan to join me in the writing. And that was in uh, late February of that 2020. Three weeks later, we were all. We were locked in. Locked in. And it was a perfect point <laughs> to spend the next seven months writing a novel, which we had an enormous amount of fun writing together. There they are. Great. Yeah, it's, you know, it's if you're going to be stuck at home, why not write a book? I've seen a lot of, um, well, I've seen a lot of poetry written. I there are people left and right now um, publishing their books because of what they've written during the pandemic, and a lot of books along that topic. So, and to be in the house writing about we the house, um, you know, I could think that there could be some inspirations in that as well. And I'm glad that you all brought this together as a collaboration because you have a composer and you have a composition and you have the architect. It just, it's all, pardon my pun, but it's making beautiful music here in this book. Great. Nice Thank you. Yeah. That's very nice to hear. Yeah. It's very nice to hear. Yes, absolutely. So, um, you got good feedback from your writers groups and i um, glad that again that you brought Susan in on this because mm -hmm. it just sounds like it was meant to be for this to be a collaboration so wonderful. Susan what can you tell us about your experience with the book? I can say that um, first I have as a as a writer whether it's with words or music and I do both um, I always had this very small niggling fear at the back of my mind, really ever since I was coming out of college, that one day I might have an urge to write a novel and that would be a terrible thing because there aren't enough limitations in writing a novel. When you're writing a play or when you're writing a libretto or you're writing an opera or a piece of chamber music, the first thing you do is, is uh, sort of enumerate or, or become conscious of all your limitations, which are your best friends mm -hmm. in any creative endeavor. And I always thought of writing a novel as limitless, as limitless as the English language or any language. And so I was very much um, afraid that I might one day try and do that. And then I would just be terribly in the soup and never get out. Mm -hmm. So it was ideal for me because Warren wrote the chapters. This is a book that happens in several dozen chapters. 
And he would write each chapter himself. It would all come out of his own creativity and his own planning and structuring of the novel and then hand me the chapter, which automatically limited my field of vision in a fantastic way. Um, I was free to, uh, what we like to say is that Warren wrote the book in black and white and I blew in the color. Uh, but I didn't, I, I was given the skeleton, I was given the structure, I was given the setup, I was given the events of every chapter and, uh, and the narrative arc of the book, uh, that's all his brainchild. And so my, my fears of not knowing when to stop um, went away because uh, I was simply addressing what was in front of me and adding to it and enriching it and having fun with it. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, I loved every second of that. It was fantastic. For somebody, I think a lot of uh, creative artists feel like me, it's more fun to rewrite than to write. Uh, once, you know, the hard work of creation is, it's hard work, but then once you have made your clay, and you get to work with it, that's when you get to really go to town and have a lot of fun. And so for me, it was ideal because the clay was made and I just got to get in there and, and work with it. Now, who uh, put the voice to the main characters of the picture in the house? The, the voice uh, that brought, made them come to life. Well, I think that that was mostly Susan's doing. I made it, I arranged it so that the two had their voices. And there's this, there's a device at the beginning that allows them to communicate. And we, we make it clear from the first page that the house can uh, not understand the language of humans. Um, but the, the, the reason the two protagonists can communicate is because they are both timeless works of art and that's the that's the device that we set and once that was done we were the house has a very starts out with a very limited vocabulary and is has the basics of of language but he learns an immense amount from mrs peel the portrait who was herself a latin teacher in her when she was alive in Hartford, Connecticut, and she is uh, she adores language, mm-hmm. and so she becomes his. She is not only his interlocutor throughout the book, but she becomes his teacher. Yeah, I have to say the characters were were fully conceived. Warren fully conceived the characters. Mm-hmm. Ambleside is the ingenue. He's very innocent and naive, but yeah. but has an elegance to him mm-hmm. that just is who he is. And Mrs. Peel is a highly educated, rather tart, um, strong woman who has an affinity for um, history and people and, uh, and is a compulsive teacher. I mean, she just can't help teaching. And um, so they were completely set up for me and I just, I just ran with it. One of the things that was most fun for me uh, was 
the book takes place basically over 200 years. It looks back 50 years, 70 years, and, um, and forward 120 or 30 years. And um, I think we should point out that the house is built in 1878, and it's an Italianate house in the middle of the Kansas prairie. And so thus, it's looking backward to the 1830s because that's Mrs. Peel's time, and it's looking forward to the near present. All the way to 2010, right? Mm -hmm. So over time, uh, as Mrs. Peel lives in that house and the generations come and go and language that we Americans speak changes, she adds words to her vocabulary and she picks things up from the children and grandchildren and live, um, in house. live in the house and come and go. And that was really fun. It was really fun looking up uh, in the dictionary to see was this word in common use in that year? The word yeah. gadzooks, for instance, yeah. <laughs> is first appears in the 1930s. And so it's something we, we becomes part of her parlance because she, in the dining room, gets to hear all of the conversations and she does understand human language. So she gets to hear all the family conversations that happen in the dining room. And that's and the family consists of, a, of a, a man and a woman and their three daughters. And then it goes down the generations. Yes. I thought it was, it was fun um, when she was moved around when they did the wallpapering of the house. And we, you know, we got to see more of the house through her. I mean, it had me just as curious uh, about the house as, you know, Ambleside. It's just, it, it really, um, brought the the reader into it. It's like, yeah, I want to know what do you see in this house? I was just as much engaged in it as the house was. So it's just um, it just really draws you in. And then the part about um, the husband who had lost an eye and was trying to figure out if this wallpaper and the humor that you know that they kind of threw in with that, you know, it could have been kind of a sad situation actually had some humor to it. And um, and then the the fact that you know the the picture would laugh that ha and uh, it just there's just so much personality in that and um, yeah I've really enjoyed it I'm looking forward to getting to know more about what's going on here so now I've, I see Michael Pose is here and um, that's how I met you all Michael is mm -hmm. a wonderful poet. And um, we interviewed him, and he's done a, a class for us um, before. So welcome, Michael. And he's not going to say anything. Hello. Hello. Welcome. How are you? Okay, doing well, thank you. This is my wife Gretchen here. Off to hi, the... Gretchen. Nice <laughs> to meet corner. you. <laughs> now you you are Blue Cedar Press, right, Michael? We are, yeah, and then we have a we have an editorial board um, okay. that joins us and helps us okay. in making decisions and uh, yes and no's and what do you think and all that. Yeah, started okay. in two thousand fourteen. Now, how did you all come in connection? You all, you all, and um, 
the Ashworth Canvas? Lauren should answer that. Yes. Oh, I, we, okay, uh, well, Warren, jump in. We solicited, we, we sent a uh, portion, we looked at, uh, we thought that a publisher in Kansas, the, the book is very naturally, since the house is situated in this one spot in Kansas, and the house does not move, even though at times he would like to, um, we thought, well, let's consider finding a regional publisher. And uh, Blue Cedar Press had wonderful, uh, a, a strong website and a strong record of publications of some very interesting looking books. And so we sent a submission and uh, we heard back from Gretchen about a few weeks later. Um, and it, she requested to see the rest of the manuscript. And that was the beginning of our relationship. Wonderful. They have been terrific to work with. Um, I, I have to say that uh, we hear from many authors that the editing process is fraught. Uh, in this case, the editing process was an absolute delight. Uh, Gretchen and uh, their uh, Laura Tillum worked together uh, and they went through this. We all went through the book a number of times and caught every there was a, there were questions of interpretation. There were questions of history, and and then there were questions of grammar and syntax. And we had a great time with them. So I I think that one terrific advantage of working with a regional publisher and independent press is that you get that kind of concentrated attention. At one point, Gretchen sent us a note in the middle of the night, saying she just finished the final read-through and it still brought her to tears. He's, <laughs> He's choked up. <laughs> and that was quite lovely. You don't we get really that. liked getting that email. You, you don't get that from Simon and Schuster, I don't think so. It's very nice. <laughs> I understand that I have a press as well. And um, yeah. I when I work with people and edit, it's one of my favorite things to do actually is working with my authors in the editing process. Um, there's not a poem that doesn't get looked at several times and, you know, tossed and turned and, and everything. Um, but it's by the time you get done, you end up with a beautiful product. Mm -hmm. So it's well worth it. And it tells me something else too. So it sounds like, like every other author, you all found with, with your working with your editor that there is no 100% perfect written book there's right. going to be little quirks and turns that you have to work on and that's one of the, the fears that people have if I don't have it 100% perfect it's going to get refused but no if, if a book stands to tell the story those things can be dusted off and fixed you know that's the way I look at it anyway and you know so I encourage people to if they have something just get it out there you know mm -hmm. get it in the hands of the people you know even if it gets rejected, you learn from your rejection. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And with our, with our press, Lisa, um, we basically, we have two people who will read the incoming prose manuscripts for the most mm -hmm. part, and two people who will read incoming poetry manuscripts. And 
that's the first process, first step in the process. Mm -hmm. And then we, um, depending on what the opinion is of each pair of, of readers, um, we'll then expand that to uh, the, rest, the rest of the board. So, you know, we get everybody reading it. Yeah. If we have any interest at all in, in publishing it. Mm-hmm. So there is a there is actually a process. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. This is, and th- yeah. this process was has been incredible. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty. Um, I mean, Warren and Susan are their own PR department. I mean, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> you know um, they've got they have they have good friends and they have a network of people and and they have the energy to uh research um other directions to go in terms of public relations um and i'm sorry about my voice i'm recovering from some kind of um respiratory stuff it's not oh, covid but bronchial pneumonia. <laughs> i have bronchial okay. pneumonia yeah that's oh, okay. dear. well but, that'll make you low yeah it's uh, yeah i'm supposed to get some stuff from the doctor today it's supposed oh, to help but um Anyway, the, so the voice is a little different, but it's been really wonderful um, working with both Warren and Susan and, and getting to know them, getting to know you all <laughs> um, over the miles, uh, as William Stafford once said. And um, so uh, I'll, I'll, let, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I mean, and, and also, well, I won't leave it at that. Um, Gretchen and and Laura have have done an exceptional job in in uh, editing and in um, working together, and then working with both you, Warren, and Susan. And also, uh, you know, from our standpoint, um, it's equally as um, it's been a joyful kind of um, process. There's also a brilliance in in this strat the strategy the whole design of this book uh, to me is is really brilliant and is um, I mean I'm more enthusiastic about it probably than any book well maybe I, I shouldn't say that but I'm very enthusiastic about it uh, as enthusiastic as I have about any book we published and um, have been thinking a lot as as I'm a professional historian thinking about how exciting it would be if we could get uh, if we could spin clone off the notion of houses telling their stories all across the United States mm-hmm. in different regions and different cultures, you know, and uh, different time periods and uh, how, you know, it, I mean, it's just such a rich mother load uh, uh, concept. Yes. So you, and you did such a beautiful job with the two characters. They're so memorable. It's yeah. just amazing. I'm personally waiting for a book Warren on restaurants. <laughs> well that's another idea actually <laughs> i don't know if lisa knows that about you but go ahead <laughs> you have me curious now what's that all about most of my professional career is spent designing restaurants and hotels so it is something i have um, am quite familiar with and um, i just uh left my studio class this morning um where i teach where I continue to teach people to design restaurants and offices, et cetera. So I, I adore the teaching now as much as I 
enjoy the uh, the design work. But I think part of being an architect is um, there's a one gathers from experiences one has had everything goes into design and to some extent I think that this book we've written is the same kind of gathering uh, I'm delighted to be able to gather so much into this this little romp we had <laughs> yeah I think we haven't mentioned yet that this house who, which is named Ambleside. Mm -hmm. uh, Ambleside is the narrator of the book. Ambleside is a real house. It was yeah. built by Warren's great-grandfather and um, it stands today at number one Ambleside Lane in a town in Kansas. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing confluence of actual history family history and a passion that Warren happens to have, which is for American wood frame architecture. And that's sort of really at the very beginning of this journey, I think, for Warren is that we, uh, he tracked down this house. We didn't even know if it was still standing and uh, wow. found it. And uh, he got in touch with the owners back in 2007 and we went to visit it. And then uh, it became the centerpiece of one of his lectures. He teaches architecture, architectural history. And it became the centerpiece of one of his lectures. And, uh, and then when we had this experience on New Year's Eve, uh, three years ago, that was the lightning in the bottle. Mm -hmm. And the house, it was the natural house for this to happen in which is the house that my grandmother grew up in and which I had heard about from my mother, uh, though my mother had in fact never seen the house uh, as uh, their family had moved, the family had moved west. Uh, but it's a very special house that has been lovingly restored by a, a wonderful couple since 1994 and they are still working on it as anyone who is involved in the preservation of old houses knows it does not end. Um, and they uh, have been just wonderful about it. I, uh, Michael and Gretchen have seen the house um, and it, as they say, it stands and looks great these days. So it's kind of wonderful. Yeah. So it, it, it was, it, it's very personal. Mm -hmm. um, we, through Warren, I have learned to love uh, houses and um, and think about them very personally the way that he does. Um, but this is this is intensely personal mm -hmm. because it was built by somebody in his family and he knows how it was built. I mean, the he's built houses. We both built houses and uh, and so in that respect, it's very very personal and um, we feel like we have a relationship with this house. And so I think that was at the very beginning what Warren was, was doing. He was wanting to write his relationship to a wood framed American house. Mm -hmm. 
I anticipate that there will be some book signings going on around that area at some point. Yeah. Yes, house. there will in, in January. There will. Um, Lisa, if you don't mind, I think it's an appropriate time to read the epigram, which is a short Absolutely. epigram written by Mark Twain. And it really has everything to do with um, my inspiration for this uh, book. So it is a written, this is Mark Twain wrote this about a house that was designed for him in the 19th century when he was finally, uh, when he was su successful and um, had done well enough for himself that he could commission an architect to design him a house. And the house that that architect designed is really a very special house and it's a public museum now in Hartford. It's where he and his wife lived with their three daughters for many, many years. The epigram is as follows. To us, our house was not insentient matter. It had a heart and a soul and eyes to see us with and approvals and solicitudes and deep sympathies. It was of us and we were in peace, in the peace of its benediction. We never came home from an absence that its face did not light up and speak out its eloquent welcome, and we could not enter it unmoved. Mm. Mark Twain, letter to Joseph Twitchell, 1896. Wow. So that, that's the, the idea that a house can have a soul. Yes. Is, I think, uh, something that I feel that we in the United States have a special relationship with our houses. Those of us who are lucky enough to either grow up in or live in uh, a house of some quality, of some thought, a house of, of some art. These American houses are distinct from their European antecedents. They, they have uh, something built into them, into their frame that speaks of something greater than wood and nails and plaster. That's my feeling. Yes, absolutely. Totally agree with that. And my, my aunt um, Alta in Missouri, she we used to love to go to her house. It was a big old country home. And, um, you know, they pretty much lived off the land, the farm. And, and uh, it, it's, the house was just as much a part of the family as the family was a part of the house. And uh, you have you to kind of be around that experience that I think sometimes, you know, me come from growing up in a military family where you went from house to house every three years. Um, but you bring life into the house that you're in and you do develop a relationship with where you live, even if it is for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. So all people can have that in some sense or other. Mm -hmm. you, you know, when, you look, when I look back, I remember how this certain house that we lived in was a certain way and certain characteristics of it and certain things I missed about it. You know, mm -hmm. and you know when I moved on to a different kind of house because of you know military moves, so can you develop that even if you're you know having to move from place to place? So mm -hmm. it's really really uh, vital. There's a there's a show that I'm addicted to 
um, and I usually watch on Saturdays called Hometown, which y'all might be familiar with that. It's where people go in, they live in this whole town in, I think it's Alabama, Louisiana, somewhere in that area. And they go around and they renovate old houses that have been sitting there. And they, they take a portion of the house, they try to keep alive as much of the house as they can. And they, if something has to go out of the house, they figure out a way how to bring it back in. Like if, you know, a piece of furniture has to come out, they'll turn around, turn that furniture into a chair or, you know, and something like that. So they still bring the life back into the house. And that comes to mind, you know, as we're talking about, about this is that even if there's a change, um, there's still a way to bring that history back in and to keep that alive within the home. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wish you could read, or maybe you already have uh, the opening uh, and with the two voices. Is that possible? Do you have time for, for a little reading of the, the just to give the nature of, of I the I have first? time if, if you all have one to do that. Uh, jumping into part of the first chapter, you want to set it up? Briefly? Um, yeah, we're going to cut in to the first chapter um, and get the moment where the house and Mrs. Peel, the portrait, uh, make contact. So the house is an 1878 brand new um, uh, house presiding over a vast and empty prairie. And uh, Mrs. Peel uh, is uh, a woman in an early American portrait hanging in the dining room wall. This is, um, Ambleside is telling us this story from the vantage point of 2010, but he's going back to the origin of their relationship. Uh, and the painting, just to further illuminate a little, is that the painting has been shipped at the request of the house the people who live in the house, they're out in the middle of the Kansas Prairie and there's no art to be had anywhere. And they've sent a letter back east saying, please send some art. We are, it's, it's artless out here and we need something for our walls. And so a crate arrives at the railroad station some weeks later and the, in, it contains the portrait of Mrs. Peel. Finally, one evening, about six months after she'd been hung up on the dining room wall, we became distinctly aware of a voice that could only be described as exasperated, practically a bellow. Oh, for pity's sake, you ignorant people. It's not Spiel, it's Peel, Mrs. S. Peel. And we are in no way related. You speak, we inquired, quite surprised. Who said that? She snapped. We did. We are Ambleside. What do you mean, we are Ambleside? We are Ambleside. We are the house. And you speak? She asked in an astonished tone. Only to other works of art, made with affection and skill. Are you a work of art? Oh, my heavens, yes. Yes, I am a portrait. And I thought I would be all alone on this wall forever with these people who are not my people. A pause ensued. Can you see me? She asked us. We only see that which is without. We see nothing within. Can you see within? Yes, I see quite clearly, almost the whole dining room. 
Can you hear them at the table? Oh, how they do talk. We hear, but we cannot understand the language of men. Their sounds are too temporal. We only hear that which is little affected by time, that which is timeless. Then you do not hear what these impossible people call me. No, what are you called? Mrs. Simon Peel is my correct appellation. But they think I am Mrs. Spiel. Some old biddy with a shaky hand wrote my name in a letter accompanying me, and it was so illegible that Mrs. S. Peel, that is myself, was read as Mrs. Spiel. That must be most vexing. Yes, it most certainly is. Galling, and will never be corrected. That is the meaning right. of Amplified and Mrs. Peel. That was wonderful. I was picturing a play as you were doing that. that would be what, maybe that would be the next step. With it this. would make a, it would it make would be a, fun. It, it was an easy setup for a play. There's no question about it. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. As the wild imagination that I have, I've I've already had the dishes running away with the spoons. So yeah, this definitely has a lot of a lot of life and flavor to it. You know, I really have enjoyed this today. Um, I do want to ask, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you'd like to bring up? Because I may not have asked the question. Y'all just is so wonderful sharing about this. Um, it would be fun that we could read you one last portion, which is a uh, a critical chap uh, chapter, and we'll read a portion of it. But it's the it's the it's the crux of the book, and it's sort of the major conflict in the book, okay. and it it has a a kind of a a fun rhythm to it. Shall we do that? Let's do it. Is that, are you up Your for time? a little more? Yes, yes, absolutely. It's very good. Okay, what page is it? This is Tempest, and it is page 73. Okay. This chapter is chapter 14. It's called Tempest, and it takes place in November of 1888. Perfidy! Liar! Imposter! Liar! Perfidious liar! Imposter! Liar! Mrs. Peel! Mrs. Peel! Don't talk to me, you appalling stack of faggots! Imposter! Mrs. Peel! You had nothing to say! Nothing! Nothing about what? All these years! All this time! All these years I've hung in this house, you perfidious, mendacious, hovel! Liar! We pressed forward through our alarm. Mrs. Peel, what vexes you so? You said nothing! She shouted, about what? Never once! What, what has unleashed I this? am hung here, helpless, in abject ignorance of your true self all these years. We have never known such fury, we cried out. You frighten us. What light has struck between last evening and this one? Dishonoring the memory of Mr. Peel, my Simon. All these years you knew, you knew, and you said nothing, nothing. We spoke in soothing tones, hoping to calm her wrath. How, pray tell us, however have we done such a thing? We are incapable of an untruth. What have we said? How have we done such a thing? One last blistering you, followed by a disturbingly long silence, finally came Ambleside. 
I have spent the last nine years on your perfidious wall, and I have just learned things I never dreamt to hear. You call yourself a house? That's it. Oh, goodness. You there. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm going to have to read a little faster to get to that point. That's fascinating. <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. You might just motivate me to have some more novelists come on the show. <laughs> yeah. Great. Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having yes. us. Thank and, you. Yeah, Lisa, thank you for uh, making, making an exception from um, the line of poets that you bring in and, and interview and support us. That's It's wonderful. So thank you. And thank you for making an exception here for We the House. <laughs> well, it sounds to me like We the House kind of puts poetry in motion anyway. So I think it's an appropriate. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you all so much. You have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Come back again soon. Would you like to be on our podcast? Send an email to prolificpulse at gmail.com and we'll get back to you soon. Thank you. Have a good day.